All right, welcome to the show. Today we have uh, Jim Mufuccio in. Jim's got a diverse background in real estate investing, uh, turning non-performing notes into performing notes, buying and selling all types of notes, uh, first, second position. We're gonna talk about that today, figure out what's it like, what's it look like, how do you get invested into uh, a business like Jim's, get involved with a business like Jim's, and uh, hopefully learn something um, profound here to help you guys get better at the business that you do every day. So without further ado, Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Joe. Good to meet you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were talking a little bit before the show, um, getting a little bit into the weeds with, you know, what it is you do and how it is you do it. But tell the folks, you know, a little bit of background about yourself and, you know, what got you to this point? All right. Well, yeah. So I, I uh, actually graduated in, from college in 1980 with an engineering degree, and I went to work for, uh, at the time, the largest corporation in the world. It was an oil company. And so I did the, did the corporate gig for about six years and uh, got the entrepreneurial bug in, in about 1985 at the end, of the, in the end of the year and got my real estate license and uh, jumped out into the world of self-employment in, in early 86 and haven't looked back, uh, haven't gotten a paycheck from somebody else in that many years. So what's that, you know, 34 years? And so, uh, but I got involved in uh, not only transactional real estate, but I got involved in doing uh, residential development. So uh, in Southern California, Ventura County, Los Angeles region, uh, just doing small residential infill development. Uh, it really went through two major crises in which I lost everything. Uh, both of them were related to the mortgage structure, the financing structure within the real estate space as well as being in California where it takes so long to get a project approved, you never know what the market's going to look like by the time you, you know, lift the curtain, so to speak. So I had some real successful failures there. I actually won a gold nugget award for one of our development projects. And I like to say it was my most successful failure ever because uh, we had a <laughs> great little project. We had all kinds of people coming to, coming to check it out. City planners, even Hollywood location scouts came by because we created this old, kind of old fashioned, um, you know, Pasadena bungalow craftsman style house neighborhood. It was really cool. But anyway, uh, then kind of got back on my feet in development that was in the mid nineties and started uh, moving into affordable housing. And then by, uh, you know, 2007 was just had property everywhere and was in the middle of a bunch of projects and everybody knows what happened then. So, uh, you know, mm. the, the, the fell out of that thing again and found myself you know, very uh, long story, very short, found myself moving to Kansas City with uh, my wife um, and five uh, teenagers underfoot. And so um, that was in the uh, 2007 time frame. started doing whatever I could to put food on the table because I was broke. I mean, I lost everything. I actually lost more than everything. I, I lost yeah. stuff I didn't even have yet in that, <laughs> in that fashion. So so I started uh, kind of studying all of the, the train wreck that had just happened. And, and um, you know, I really through some divine intervention uh, discovered this uh, whole area of distressed mortgages and said, you know, I've lost my business twice because of debt. And I think it's time to get on the other side of the debt equation and be the lender and not the borrower. So, um, so I started attending uh, conferences and learning about buying distressed that, buying all of these loans that that these institutions needed to get rid of or else they were going to go under. And of course, a lot of them did go under. And so I started, I bought my first uh, mortgages in 2011. And again, just through studying the, uh, the situation, 
uh, I discovered uh, a few, a handful of people were doing seconds, doing junior liens. And it sounded like insanity to most people that have been around real estate and around mortgage. So why would you buy defaulted second mortgages, you know? And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there, which of course creates opportunity because, you know, having a knowledge advantage is always, is always great. But, you know, a lot of people are under the impression you can't foreclose from second position, for instance, and that's absolutely not true. You're secured by the collateral, just like a first lien is. It's just that uh, the, the, the tactics are a little bit nuanced. Fact of the matter is institutions will typically not foreclose from second position. They'll charge the paper off and get it off their books, which creates tremendous opportunity for, for guys like me. So, so I jumped in in 2011, uh, proved out the model with a handful of investors, and then I uh, hooked up with my uh, current business partner in 2012 when we started Aspen Funds. And we have been growing. I mean, we're growing right now during this coronavirus. We're actually, I think by the time the dust settles from the thing, we will have hired three or four new people. We're interviewing one today, as a matter of fact. And so, awesome. uh, yeah, so there was a big, uh, there was a whole bunch of opportunity in the marketplace a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, in terms of distressed mortgages, you could find them. Um, what's happened like any industry a lot of the seasonal folks have kind of come and gone a lot of the mom and pop people that just wanted to take advantage get the cream off the top and that's great you know i've been an opportunist all my life but we'd actually built such a a great company and systems and processes and gotten all this licensing and we've gone through all the regulatory pain and all of a sudden we realized wow we're we're actually perennial players in this in this space now so what we do now is we're actually, we're actually a, a, a hedge fund and we run different mortgage funds and we have passive investors that, uh, you know, we've been providing really good returns for our accredited investors. And so we have basically two sides of our business. One side, we, we go out and we buy these distressed, these non-performing mortgages. And some of them haven't had a payment in as many as 10 years. So it's always a fun phone call when our team has to wake up these borrowers and say, hey, by the way, what are we going to do about this debt that you owe, you know, and of course, they're in denial, or they're mad, or, but in a lot of cases, they say, oh, we just needed to know where to send the check, tell us where to, we want to pay it off, and we actually had one come through just last week, a full payoff on a loan, I think we paid $4,000 for, and we got a check for $36,000, they just didn't know where to send it before, so we love those, <laughs> uh, that's not the norm, that happens, you know, a handful of times, but so we buy yeah. the distressed mortgages and we, we try to work with the borrowers. We've kept a ton of people in their homes. We very rarely foreclose, less than 2%. Um, we have to start foreclosure a lot, but we don't finish it many, uh, many times at all because sometimes it takes that to just get people to come to the table and realize that you do still owe the money. So we're able to forgive mm -hmm. a lot of debt, make it real uh, affordable for people to stay in their homes. And as I mentioned to you before, Joe, we, we are, you know, having done this eight years, overall portfolio wide, we're making about a 2.2 to two and a half X on our, on our, uh, on our acquisitions cost of these assets. So it's a really elegant model. Um, it's very relationship based and uh, we just keep growing. On the other side of our business, we buy reperforming mortgages. So these are, again, these are loans that institutions wouldn't want to touch because they've had some train wrecks in their, in their uh, history, but they're back on track for the most part now. And we buy these at a, uh, you know, in the low teens to mid teens is our, is our uh, yield upon purchase. But since we buy them for a discount, like typically 60% of what's owed on the loan, we call that UPB, unpaid principal balance. So we'll pay 60, 60 to 65 cents on the dollar for those and uh, 
earn a, a, a nice, you know, two-figure yield while they're paying. And then, you know, every, gosh, every quarter, a handful of these things pays off because people go out and refi their loan. And of course, we don't get back our 60 cents on the dollar. We get back a dollar on the dollar. So we mm -hmm. get a nice windfall when these loans pay off. So we've been building that uh, side of our business. And again, we have uh, passive investors that they just want mailbox money. And so every, every month, you know, their, their share is deposited ACH right into their account. We pay a nice, strong preferred return to them. And it's been great. We've got this thing you know, figured out after eight years and we're actually in our rapid growth uh, phase right now. So we love it. Cool. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack a little, that was a lot and, and a lot of good information. Yeah. I want to get dive deeper into some of those pieces. Let me backtrack back to the beginning because you know, this, the, the show is called the legacy blueprint and you know, we're talking about uh, building long-term legacy and leaving a legacy, but, but all the, all the, all the, all the ups and downs that go along the way. I love to focus on, I call them like your favorite failure and stuff like that. Like, like right now you've gotten to this point by ups, downs, ups, downs. There's a lot of people that, that watch and, and listen to this show. Um, you know, our audience is anywhere between, you know, say 20 and 35, 40 year olds. Right. And these are people that are, that are, that are going through the same ups and downs. I just did a post earlier um, you know, about getting kicked in the face, right? And, and the analogy was over the weekend, UFC just opened up again, right? And I don't know if you do, if you watch fights, but, you know, the fights came on on Saturday and, you know, these guys get paid to go in the ring and get kicked in the face and like take it and then, and, you know, win inevitably, lose sometimes, but always come back. And I think that's what makes um, the most successful people out there in business successful is you don't see all of the the problems. You don't see all of the, you know, kicks in the face. You don't see all of the downs. Um, you, you, you tend to see people look like people at the bottom aren't sitting here doing podcast interviews, right? They're talking about the challenge they had. And now they're talking about the, 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 the uh, success and, and the, and the, and the upside of what those challenges created. But, but how did you bounce back twice? Like when you were in that spot, you actually said one of those times you were lower than, than zero, right? You, you, you actually created more problems than, than you even had to begin with. How did you get the, the, the guts and, and the willpower and the, and the confidence to pick yourself off the ground and then go create something like this business? Yeah, well, there, and there's really two, two, uh, two sides of that, uh, of that story. Actually, not sides. I mean, one's internal and one's a little more external. And so first of all, my, my faith in God is, is that's the anchor in my life. That's my true north ground zero and everything flows out of that. So uh, I just, I, I just, because of my faith, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. I just believe things are supposed to work. And when they don't, you know, we get to learn how to fix them and that, that makes us bigger and better people. So that's just kind of a DNA level way that I view life. It's a very hope filled perspective. And, and, uh, and then the other aspect of it is, I mean, look, when you have a couple decades at that point, me, I've over three decades now of experience in an industry experience, not only as an entrepreneur, but experience in real estate specifically, you just kind of know what the moving parts are, you know, and you look at, okay, this thing, this train wreck just happened. Let's look at the pieces of the puzzle. You still have human beings that need places to live. Okay. The houses aren't going away. They're still sitting there. The ownership of the houses is changing hands in a lot of cases. And the underlying financial structure is the first lien or, or the liens against the property. You know, the owners of those liens are going to change hands too. But at the end of the day, you still got people. They're still going to be living in houses and you're still going to have mortgages. So I just had to transfer my skills from being on the property ownership side of it over to the paper 
side of it. And so it was actually, I mean, that part was pretty easy for me because uh, again, you just learn a different, you know, skill set. Um, but it's the same, it's the same game really. So, uh, I love it. so I, you know, I just started, I mean, in 2010, literally I went to my first distressed note um, conference in the fall of 2010. I, I heard the testimonies. I saw, you know, the, I saw the thing and said, this is real. This is absolutely where I want to be positioned. And so I just started gaining the knowledge and honestly going to conferences, uh, networking with people that I'd never met. I'm 60, you know, 63 years old and um, wow. Yeah. I'm going to be 64 this year. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so to reinvent in your mid fifties um, sounds, you know, in intimidating to some folks, but it's like, look, when you're an entrepreneur and you have a family, you just do what you got to do. And yeah. uh, I, I've probably been, I've probably been a smarter worker more than a harder worker most of my life, but I don't mind working hard as well. So just again, retooling, retooling my raw, my raw understanding of real estate, tooling it into this mortgage thing and really building relationships because it's a such a relationship business, especially the world we're in with second mortgages. You can't, I'm yeah. telling you, you can't find these things in any kind of volume. And so uh, all of our sourcing is through relationships now that we've been building for eight years and we do what we say we're going to do. When we say we're going to buy something, we buy it. We don't, we don't donk around with people at the end of the transaction and try to chisel the price down. And, you know, we're, we have a very good reputation as being a great trading partner. So, um, and, and we treat our investors well and they get, they hear from us a lot and, and uh, you know, they get paid when they're supposed I love to get paid. So. I love it. I love it. So I heard a few things. One, you went to an event. I think far too many people just aren't investing in themselves. And I love that the fact that, this COVID thing allows people to take a step back, slow down, get better, you know, learn, grow, do YouTube videos, online trainings. There's so wow. many yep. methods to, to benefit, right? And then the second piece that I think that the big takeaway there is you knew when to pivot, right? And sometimes, you know, sometimes we have to be brought all the way down to say like, hey, it, it's time to pivot. You know, you got to get smacked in the face a little bit. But sometimes just having that ability, like that keen intellect to say, um, you know, I know what I know. I know what I know what I can control. I know what I can't control. But now it's a good time to pivot. And this is the pivot I'm going to make into. So I love the fact that that uh, you were able to create that opportunity for yourself, for your family, and ultimately come out, um, you know, on top and, and, and be running this, uh, this awesome hedge fund and, and, and ability to, uh, to help people in the second position. Now, you said something earlier on about foreclosing in a second position. And I, look, I, I run in a lot of real estate crowds that it that does seem to be the common uh, the common thought, the common process is, well, second position just doesn't have a position. So walk us through that a little bit. What does that look like? Do you have to take back the first position? Do you have to, like, how does that negotiation happen? Yeah. So, well, uh, I'll start from the, you know, 30,000 foot view is that you have a lien on the property, just like, just like the first has a lien. Obviously, if I foreclose from my second position, I don't wipe out the first. If the first forecloses, and I don't defend my position, I can get wiped out. So if there's not enough equity in the deal above, you know, above the first lien and the first forecloses, I, I, I have less and less options to get out profitably. But in mm -hmm. cases where there's equity enough to cover my payoff balance as well as the first, if I foreclose from second and, and I'm the successful bidder at the, at the auction, in other words, nobody, nobody bids for it, um, so I end up with the, so the second lien goes away and now I get title to the property subject to the first. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a lot of people in our space. Well, I won't say a lot, but there's a handful that actually use buying defaulted second liens as a property acquisition strategy because they have their eyes on the property and they get the property mm-hmm. with sense with built in financing. Now there are exceptions. Uh, there's some States that uh, I do not have the automatic right to reinstate the first. But in most states, I actually can catch up the payment. If if the borrower has gone dark on their first lien as well as on their second, I can step in and um, to protect my my secured position, the law in most states allows me to step in and and make the payments on that underlying first mortgage. So what have I done? I've just purchased a property subject to, in a lot of cases, a really sweet loan with a very low interest rate. So um, very interesting. A lot of people. Very interesting. Yeah, a lot of people are under the impression that, well, if you foreclose from second, you have to pay off the first. And that, for the most part, that is absolutely not true. And, and honestly, even, even in cases where, where it is true, where the first can, can accelerate the loan or, or, you know, call a due on sale. Um, so there's still a lot of time in between when that first goes, you know, 30, 60, 90 days delinquent, and they get around to starting their foreclosure process. So if it's a property that, you know, I'm going to take back and we're going to maybe do a fix and flip on it, or we're just going to maybe, maybe do a cosmetic prehab and just sell it retail. You know, I've got plenty of time to, to exit that property before the first would ever even get close to foreclosing anyway. So, so that's just a big piece of misinformation that's out there is that, you know, oh man, you, you can't foreclose from second because you have this big first in front of you that you have to pay off. No, the property pays off the first. I don't. That's really, it's really interesting. So it's really interesting. I like, I like the theory. So, so where do you find, you said it's difficult to find these. You have to have a network of people that can help you connect. Um, if somebody wants to get into this business and kind of do what you do, where, where do they even start? Where do they find these seconds? And then obviously raise the money and so forth. Yeah. So, so most people that are training uh, the note business, I mean, you'd be probably looking at getting into first, you know, buying defaulted first liens. Those are a little more available uh, there's exchanges out there. I would honestly say uh, attend conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, right now, you know, that's online. So you have to, you have to do some research online. And if anybody's interested and they want to reach out, you know, off, off the air, I can, I can direct people to some great trainers. Again, we don't do training. We don't have any educational products to sell, but we're pretty open-handed with, uh, you know, with, with helping people out, helping people find direction. If you want to jump into this world, uh, getting into seconds, it really is relationship-based, and the only way you're going to really crack through there is establish yourself, meet the people that are doing it, and uh, and and just be a person of integrity and and get into the circle. Um, there's quite a few more pe- people doing firsts again, and you can you can meet them online, you can meet them at conferences. So it's a um, you know there's a whole world there, like anything else. Once you once you get your nose inside the tent, you realize, oh my goodness, there's a whole there's a whole industry here, and there's always been a defaulted loan industry. I didn't know about it particularly. I was on the periphery of it when I was a developer. Yet I'm sitting yeah. there looping up against it all the time as as a borrower. You know, I've, yeah. I've borrowed more hard money than I've ever lent out at this point. Sure, I yeah. knew that that whole world existed, but you know, now I'm in it. So. Now you said you also buy performing notes, right? You have a fund for performing notes. So what does that look like? How do you get paid on a performing note or how do you buy, you know, are you negotiating interest? Are you negotiating, um, you know, payoff amount? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. Well, we look at, we, we do some, we have a pretty elaborate due diligence process that we, we analyze every single loan we buy, even if we're buying a pool of hundreds of loans, 
course, we can't do as deep of a dive up front, so we're gonna we're, it's gonna be a discounted price. We got we got to price in some risk if we're gonna uh, if we can't go deep enough. But we look at the loan. We look at you know there's really the three P's in, in the paper world. There's there's the property, there's the paper, and there's the people. And we our due diligence uh, drills down pretty deep into all three of those those uh, categories. So we we have to look at a. Uh, we have to look at each deal and say, if we had to end up with this property, okay, first of all, on that side of the business, we're buying loans that are already performing. They're mm -hmm. cash flowing at some level. Um, so, so usually they're, they're loans that have been modified by a, by a prior uh, workout fund or maybe an institution. And the institutions can't keep these on their books because they're considered scratch and dent or worse. You know, and we don't care if somebody's say a rolling 90 and that means they had, they had a 90 day delinquency way back when they never quite got caught up, but they're making a payment every month. I, that's fine with me. I don't mm -hmm. care. The fact that it's, it's to their benefit to catch up the 90 days and, and we can actually help them do that because if we can help them improve their credit score, then guess what? They can go refinance. And when they refinance, they pay us off hundred mm -hmm. percent. And keep mm -hmm. in mind, we bought the loan at a discount. So if we buy the loan for 75,000, it's a hundred thousand dollar loan. If they go get refied, it's a great day for us because we get a hundred thousand bucks. We just made an additional twenty-five grand profit on an already profitable transaction. So when mm -hmm. we buy these loans, we're buying them typically at a anywhere from eleven to seventeen or twenty percent yield on our invested dollars. Now that's not the interest rate the borrower's paying. They sure. may be paying a nine, a seven, eight, or nine percent interest on there. We call the coupon rate. That's what. That's what the borrower's paying. But because of the discount we bought the loan at, our yield is in the teens. So yeah, we negotiate that price with the sellers. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real uh, mark, you know, supply demand scenario. Um, it's a, there's a motivation level. You know, we, we've had a fund recently that's put a whole bunch of paper in front of us to look at. And you know, because of this COVID thing, and I think they're running scared thinking that everybody's gonna default with all this unemployment. and. Uh, you know, so plus I think they had other opportunities they wanted to deploy their capital into. So we're, we're, I mean, we're definitely bidding more aggressively today. We're bidding at, at lower price points and higher yields. But the, the, the fact of the matter is in our portfolio, and I thank God for this, but we have not seen this big uh, increase in defaults, which we actually expected a pretty good bit of it. We underwrite, sure. we underwrite the portfolios that we buy to be able to withstand up to a 30% default rate. Now that's gonna be uncomfortable, but we've never seen anywhere near that. It's been ticking along at under 10 and we might just bump above 10 during this COVID crisis. But even there, Joe, you know, these are people that they're not, they're not out of the workforce forever. You know, most of the jobs that yeah. have been lost, as soon as businesses open back up, they're gonna, they're gonna be right back, you know, doing what they do. So this is- I think a lot of people are missing a, that fact, right? No, go ahead. Yeah. No, no go, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. no I think a lot of people uh, are missing know, that fact right now. You know, you got 20 million people unemployed and, you know, but, but every business in America is shut down and doors are locked and you're not allowed to go in there and buy anything, right? So what's going to happen as we start to open up? Of course, yes, there's going to be some businesses that are wiped off the map. And there's a lot of businesses can't handle two, three months with no income whatsoever. Right. But there's going to be some businesses that took advantage of PPP, kept their people employed, you know, kept things moving along 
right? And then they're going to pop back up and they're going to go back to work. So that 20 million is going to come down. You know, it's just, I, I, my guess is almost as fast as it went up, you know, when people go back to work. Um, I think we're also training people that unemployment is a good thing. And there's a lot of people on unemployment making more money than they would if they went to work. So that's going to be, that's going to be a tough bridge to cross uh, when it happens. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, like you said, I, I think a lot of people are expecting massive, massive default. And I don't, I don't see it happening that way. Um, depending on how long it takes for the country to open back up. Yep, that's right. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, again, it, it, it goes back to what I said when we got into this space. You know, you still got people. They're going to live somewhere. You still have the housing stock and you still have the mortgages behind, you know, that are, that are holding up the, the housing stock, you know, because it's most yeah. properties are mortgaged. So all of those, all those moving pieces are going to get, they might get reshuffled at some level, but people are not going to move out into the street. You know, our system is not going to allow that to happen. And, I, and I'm thankful for it, frankly. Um, I'm yeah. thankful that we have a safety net in this country. Um, I hope people, you know, a large percentage of people don't take advantage of like what you said before. You have more money coming in, being on unemployment. I, I, I think people, honestly, I think I have, I think people like to work. I think people actually they find do. dignity yeah. in, in going I have confidence in our, in our citizens that, uh, you know, folks aren't going to say, Hey, why should I go back to work? I could sit home and watch Netflix and get paid. I mean, most people don't really want to live that way. So I'm very, I'm very hopeful. I think it's going to take a while. I'm like you, I think there's a lot of businesses that aren't going to come back. Frankly, I think there's a lot of businesses that aren't going to come back. And those business owners, when you get past the trauma of it, are going to look back and say, man, that's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. We really weren't making it anyway. We were just scratching by and this kind of helped make the decision easier and they'll, they'll reinvent themselves and, and they'll jump into a, a new gig. And, you know, I think we'll have better restaurants. We'll have better education. I think the whole educational system is, this is going to be a big part of a, of, of a change. that's going to happen over time. And, you know, you don't need, we, same thing with working, working from home and working remote. I've, I've been asking the question for decades, why do people jump in a car to transport their brain from one part of town, an hour commute to downtown Los Angeles to go sit in a building and maybe meet with people once a week and then jump back in the car and drive all the way home. It, it makes no sense to me. So I'm getting I, I've been saying this, I've been saying here. this for weeks. No, no, no. I, I think I'm, I'm right on the same boat with you. I've been saying it for weeks. This is, you know, when we get hit with adversity like this, it naturally creates a reset button, but it also forces you to look at the things that you might've should have been doing all along. Right. right. You know, can you work virtually? Yes. Can your yeah. kids work and, and from home? From Can they be homeschooled and be productive? Yes. You know, my kid's getting through school in two and a half hours a day. You know, yeah. why does she need to spend eight hours in an institution where my tax dollars are paying for an old decrepit building? because It's historic and we're trying to keep it looking like that. When the reality of it is the future 10 years from now, I don't see kids going to school. I don't see colleges being a thing. I think, you know, virtual, first of all, technology, we can go down this rabbit hole for for. For, yeah. forever but like i think the way technology works you know in 10 years from now who, who does who, you know you might be downloading a microchip into your phone and learning everything you need to learn you know plugging it in the back of your neck who, who knows but the fact is like right now we're archaic you know and, and the way we do things and this is a great nature's reset button to say hey maybe you should be doing things a little bit differently right yeah. I, I definitely think so. i think there's a lot of things that have changed 
I want to go back real quick just to clarify for some of the folks that are listening because you said, you know, sometimes when I when I do these interviews, you know, we, we speak at a high level. We don't even think about – we, we don't even know what we don't know, right? So we say things um, that are fast. And I think what's really impactful about one of those things you said a couple minutes ago was um, how you buy something at a discount and you, you, you artificially – I don't even want to say artificially is the wrong word, but you inflate the rate of return, right? So in other words, if you bought a property um, that had a – I'm sorry, if you bought a note that was a $100,000 payoff, and that, that note rate was 10% at $100,000 and you paid 50 grand for it, your, your realized year? interest rate is now 20%, right? Is that basically how it works? That, that's, yeah, I mean, we actually, we actually drill deeper and actually calculate the, uh, the true cash on cash because you know, a lot of the money coming back in is principal payoff. So we don't consider that mm -hmm. profit, we, but, but half of that's if, on your 50% example, half of that, so we take mm -hmm. the P&I payment that comes in, the, pr the portion of that P&I payment that's principal, half of that portion is profit and half of it's just getting our money back. So it's not a perfect 20, but it's, it would be in the high teens. Okay. That example, you would be in the high teens. So you're exactly right. It's our, perfect. it's our investment. It's the cash flow coming in on our invested capital. That's our internal yield. And that's, uh, that, that, that's exactly how it works. So, we, so in that case, Joe, we, we make 20% until it pays off and then we make another 100% on our capital. And then, yeah, and then you bump it back up again. I love it, I love it. So and that happens, I mean, that happens, you know, once a week we get a payoff out of that income fund and it's a, it's a sweet thing, so yeah. I love it. I, I, think, I think our listeners are gonna learn so much from this and, and also learn maybe an industry they're not, they're not uh, you know, experienced with or you know, maybe they wanna get into. So, uh, you know, I know we're getting long on time here. I wanna make sure I respect your time. Tell me, Jim, if you had to go back to, you know, 1980, Jim, just graduated college, getting ready to go out and take on the world, you know, what, what would you tell that? What would you tell that young kid that's, that's coming out of college? And how, how, would, how would you effectively try to give him a roadmap to success? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'd have to, you know, first of all, I, I, would, I would ask him to uh, spend some time, you know, in solitude, figuring out, you know, really, really, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do before you leave the planet? And, uh, you know, do you have any kind of gut level uh, sense of a calling? You know, like, I mean, some people like, I'm just, I'm drawn to the education world. I, I'm assuming you mean like somebody that already knows they want to get into real estate or are you just, are you just going up higher and saying just life in general? Because I don't want to get too about you. Okay, yeah, life I mean, in general. Yeah, no. I would yeah. I would say work on you, work, you know, do personal development. You know, I've started into personal development as way too late in life, you know, because I went to the, you know, did the college thing and they don't teach you personal development in college. They teach, they teach you how to manipulate numbers and you know, whatever. But um, so become a student of yourself and become a, a uh, you know, a developer of yourself. So educate, educate, educate. And I don't mean by that, go back to the college and get the MBA. Maybe, maybe you do that if that's your gig, but there is so much information available. You can literally be, I'm convinced you can be whoever you want to be. Okay. Now, if you want to be like a, a track star and you're, I mean, there's certain things, you know, certain things about our DNA and the way we're structured. Like I, I'm, I'm five foot eight. So I'm, I'm probably, unless I'm a spud web, I'm probably not going to be an NBA basketball player. Although I still believe a five foot eight guy that sets his heart on that could do it. So, but figure out who you are, yep. you know, and again, that can, that can get very spiritual. It should, but um, figure out what you really want, want to see yourself do and talk to a lot of people that are further down the road than you that are that, that maybe people that you admire and say, you know, I, 
I love this person's lifestyle. They, 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 they work from home. They don't seem to be stressed out. They're spending a lot of time with their family and kids. And, and that, I've been blessed to be able to, that's my story, you know, because I, I, I've, I've worked out of my home. This COVID thing is kind of laughable. You mentioned homeschool. We homeschooled our kids by choice, number one. <laughs> I've worked from my home by choice. So this isn't anything radically different for me. This is just life as, as usual. But figure out what lifestyle you want and figure out what impact you want to make and then go get the knowledge by talking to people that are doing it. And I mean, with the internet and the information we have available right now, nobody has a good excuse. You really don't. So, and then, and then I'll just leave one, one more point that I like to say is, you know, a lot of people say the best way to learn is get out there and make mistakes and learn from your mistakes. That's a good way to learn. I'm going to say that's not the best. That's the second best way to learn. The first best way to learn is learn from my mistakes. Okay. Mm. In other words, be willing to talk to people that, that have, you know, a little bit of different colored hair and, uh, or maybe no hair and, and, and that have been through it. Like you said, that have those scars that have been punched in the face and say, what, what would you do differently? Tell me some things I could avoid. If I could go back and talk to my 20 year old self, I could have, I could have avoided two train wrecks. But then I look at life and say the train wrecks are what really build your character and make you who you are. So, but, but you really can learn from other people's mistakes and you, and you can learn from other people's successes as well. So that's what I would say is really be, in, be intentional. Just don't be a, network, a Netflix addict. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, watch, don't just watch sports on TV and live your life vicariously through other people. Actually get in the game and, 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 and play. Become the best you. That's the best thing I can tell somebody. I love it. I love it, man. Jim Mafuccio, building an amazing legacy for him and his family, also giving you guys the keys to build your own legacy. Jim, how do people find you, reach out to you if accredited investors want to get involved in the fund? What's the best, what's the best uh, way to, to reach you? Yeah, I'd say just hit up our website. It's, uh, it's aspenfunds.us. So A-S-P-E-N-F-U-N-D-S dot U-S. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a spot there where you can you know, a contact us link. And if you just, you know, just type out what you're, what you're interested in, you know, if you want to find out more about the industry and, and get plugged into it, I could certainly direct you there, uh, point you to some education, some people that I know and trust in the space that actually do educate uh, for, for node investors. If you're interested in our funds, it'll be very obvious how to, uh, how to, uh, you know, indicate that interest. And if you're an accredited investor, we'd love to have you on board. And um, yeah, that's, that's really it. Just go to the website. Perfect. Perfect. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. Uh, Jim, thanks for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. It was a great interview. It's been a pleasure, Joe.